Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a wonderful, heartwarming, and hilarious conversations about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Crazy Family, a collection of 101 stories of wacky yet lovable relatives. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I am great. Thank you for having me on. This is such a fun book to talk about. You were you picked like your favorite stories and then you asked me what my favorites were and I thought, well, you already picked all my favorites. But then I realized you could have picked any dozen stories from the book and I would have said they were my favorites. <laughs> Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me this morning. I have to tell you, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Crazy Family is extremely entertaining. Tons of fun. Actually, this is really funny. I am ready to have some fun talking about everyone else's families. <laughs> yeah, that's what I keep saying when I'm doing PR for the book. I say, uh-huh. you know, you, this is when you get to hear about everybody else's relatives, you know, and that. <laughs> And that makes it a lot of fun, although I think most of us, no matter how crazy our families are, we really mm-hmm. wouldn't change a thing. Right, right, right. So true. So what was the inspiration behind this very interesting book? Um, I guess it's because I have my own crazy family members and, you know, they're wacky and weird and crazy and yet uh-huh. you love them to death anyway. And I don't know. I guess I was seeing a lot of stories from people, you know, in the as they submitted stories for other books, they would talk mm-hmm. about their different weird family members. And I thought we should really put together a look at these, you know, wacky yet lovable family <laughs> members. And I wasn't even sure, like, would this be a popular book? Would this just be like a small release yeah. for us? And And we didn't, you know, we printed like an average number, but not a huge number of books to start Mm -hmm. with. And before the book even went on sale April 10th, we had to do an emergency reprint because we we completely ran out of books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking this might be a sleeper, you know, Mm -hmm. and I saw Mm -hmm. the numbers for the first week that it was on sale. The numbers were really strong. Wow. And I know people love the cover. I mean, even mm-hmm. people who are ordinarily like, mm, that cover's okay. They're all going <laughs> crazy, crazy over the My Crazy Family cover, which um, our graphic designer and I put it together. And I guess we were kind of thinking about like those TV shows or game shows where they mm-hmm. would put people mm-hmm. in squares. And so we put, we basically made four squares and we picked out, Four crazy looking family members and so you've got mm-hmm. the you got the old guy who's wearing, you know, like suspenders <laughs> and a tie, but he's being a DJ and looking really cool while he's working, you know, the soundboard and he's uh-huh. got two you know, two record players going there and and then you've got the crazy woman who's probably, you know, forty who's cleaning <laughs> everything obsessively and we definitely have, you know, those stories about weird cleaning fetishes that people have and then you've Mm -hmm. got the 
the lady who looks like somebody's crazy aunt. And boy, did we get a lot of stories about crazy aunts <laughs> and crazy grandmothers. Mm-hmm. And then we got the guy uh, who we call Fat Yoga Guy, um, who is basically looks like he's wearing his underwear, and he's sitting there on a mat doing yoga um, mm-hmm. and looking really weird. So... <laughs> Yeah, people really seem to like this funny cover. <laughs> I think I could see it being like a great, you know, bridal shower gift. Like, mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm. welcome to the family, you know, <laughs> or or a Mother's Day gift, even though we have, you know, our classic, beautiful Mother's Day book that's called Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Amazing Mom. I could see mm-hmm, people giving mm-hmm. this to their mom instead yeah, or giving yeah. this to their dad for Father's Day. And mm-hmm. I also think people are just buying this for themselves as a fun read for themselves and not even as a gift to give to somebody else. It's just really fun. I had so much fun putting it together. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's what you said. Everybody loves reading about somebody else's relatives. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about the book is we talk about sometimes book is the bridge of connection. For people, right? Yes. And even the my amazing one, which I love so much, where it is a very tender, nurturing thing, kind of really a sweetheart thing, right? You reach the loved one and giving the book. But this one, to me, is like, what do you give to that? Like you talk about the eccentric relative that you have, or the one that's kind of really doing all the time or whatever. But this book is that big smile, happy handshake, and say, hey, have fun with this. Yeah, I sent it to my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law as soon Uh-oh. as we got our copies back from the printer i i sent them copies <laughs> because you know i joined their crazy family so uh, so i uh, sent them copies i thought they would enjoy it yeah you know it's that kind of thing where i'm saying it builds bridge it's just the kind of thing where you just give someone and it's funny you can't help but to cheer up when you look at the cover it's just beautiful i love the colors picture is one thing but the colors are just wonderful. It is so warm. And so it just creates a different kind of uh, atmosphere to me, definitely. Yeah, it, you're right. And then uh, the other thing about it is that I made sure that none of the stories were snarky or negative. <laughs> this is a very positive look right, at right. you know wacky, weird relatives where – it's a loving look at these people. And so right. it's not nasty at all. It's really, really <laughs> sweet at the same time that it's laugh out loud funny. Right, right. Well, how many stories did Chicken Soup get for this book? I don't know the exact number. I know we received mm-hmm. thousands of submissions. And then we also, oh, man. besides reading thousands of submissions, because we always read every story that's submitted, mm-hmm. we also found some great stories that have been submitted for other books and we moved them over. And by the way, the submission process for people who are listening, it's, it's something where we really try to develop new talent. And so if you've never been published anywhere before, we're a great place to submit your first story because we read every submission. And if you have a great plot, the story needs work, we will work on it with you. We will help you edit it. And a lot of people are so thrilled because we become mm-hmm. the first place they've ever been published. That's wonderful. And one thing I might add, this book has 
plenty of male contributors too. So hooray to all us guys. <laughs> well, you remember we had a lot of male contributors in My Amazing Mom also? Yeah. Yeah. Remember that there was you mm-hmm. had said to me there's a lot of males and I said no really and then we <laughs> I counted and there were a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't I think that men are starting to write for us more now. I've I've been noticing mm-hmm. that we have more male contributors. I guess they're discovering us and realizing that chicken soup for the soul is for everyone. It's not just for women. Right, right. And what's great about it too is that for those who think that, oh my God, I can't write a novel, but you can sure write a wonderful piece of story that can get published with Chicken Soup. And these are beautiful stories. This is stories from the heart. Yeah, they really are. And, you know, when people write about something they're passionate about, they write better anyway. So Mm -hmm. even if you didn't like writing in school, you know, because that was dry (laughs) and boring and you didn't care about the history of some ancient war, this is totally different. You're writing about your life. So, oh, let me just tell everybody how to submit since we're on that topic. Yeah, yeah, you, you go to our website, which is chickensoup.com, and then if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see where you can click on Submit Your Story. And then when you go to that part of our website, we have story guidelines where we walk you through, like, how do you write a good story? And so we give you these great writing guidelines that a lot of writers tell us they use our guidelines when they're writing for any place that they're writing for. And um, and then we also have um, a list of all the different topics that we are working on right now. And I think we probably have at least eight topics listed right now. We're collecting for a lot of new topics. Mm-hmm. And then we also have you know, the page where you put in your contact information and there's this little tiny box and we say, you know, copy and paste your story into this little box and people say, yeah, that's going to hold five words. But really, that will hold your entire story. (laughs) You know, even if it's 1,200 words, it will fit in our magic little box. So uh, please submit stories, become one of our new published writers. We're always looking for new people and we don't mind we don't mind reading you know five thousand submissions for mm-hmm. each book because mm-hmm. that leads us to have more variety in our books, and we sure do have variety in Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Crazy Family. I mean the stories are all over mm-hmm. the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful, and I'm so glad you brought the concept of how to submit your stories because lately, actually, beginning of this year, 2018, I noticed that you have a lot of new authors in there. And of course, not to mention, again, we talk about men participating in this whole process and so forth. And that's just wonderful because it really spread out the demographics, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, this has been really, really fun. And um, and I got to write a couple of my own stories for it as well, which was fun because you know how everybody has those stories. I mean, you wrote, you really wrote a crazy family story when you wrote your story, um, for the My Amazing Mom book about your mom coming yeah. to visit you from Malaysia and bringing the suitcase full of spices, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that was like a wacky but lovable thing to do. So, um, yeah, I wrote about my mom, who is also deceased, and I wrote about her her Boston accent and how she couldn't pronounce R's to save her life and how we teased her, you know, forever. We always teased her about the fact that she couldn't pronounce her R's. And when my kids were little, they actually, at one point, one day they said to me something about how they had been to a foreign country. And I said, no, you haven't. 
Mm-hmm. And they said, yes, every time we go to visit Grandma, we go to a foreign country because she has a foreign accent. And I realized it was because of the Boston <laughs> accent. And and she would say things like tomato instead of tomato. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then she couldn't pronounce anything with an R in it, except that other words that shouldn't have had an R on them would get an R mysteriously <laughs> added onto them. You know, like she couldn't say the word idea. She would say idea. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. if you were saying um, Harvard, she would say Harvard, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. which was funny because when I went to Harvard, she drove me to school freshman year and they had opened up the gates to Harvard Yard so you could drive right into the dorm. And mm-hmm. it was classic. We we pull up there and she looks at the open gates and she says, oh, good, they've opened the gates and we can pack and have a job. And, you know, that's the, I don't know. I mean, I know you're, you have only lived in the United States for most of your life, but not all of it. Yeah. But that is a right. classic thing about pack the car and have a job. And she said, oh, good, we could pack the car and have a job. Uh, um, so I never forgot that from when I was 18 and she was driving me to school. But the funniest thing was when she she told us she went down to Annapolis, Maryland, you know, as a tourist. And mm-hmm. Annapolis is where um, the Naval Academy is. And a lot of tourists go there because it's really beautiful and interesting. And so she went to this chocolate store and she loved this kind of chocolate called chocolate bark. And it's like these sheets of chocolate with have which have nuts in them and you just buy it mm-hmm. in like sheets you know they break off a, sh- a piece from this large mm-hmm. sheet mm-hmm. and she went into the store and she said i'd like the doc bock and the girl said i'm sorry i don't understand your accent ma'am and my mother said i'd like the doc bock she was saying dark bark you know dark chocolate bark yeah, 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 yeah. and the, and the woman said could you spell it for me please i really don't understand your accent and then my mother goes, I want the Doc Bach. D-A-R-K-B-A-R-K. And the girl still didn't understand her because she couldn't even say R. And my mother walked mm-hmm. out of that shop without her dark chocolate oh. bark. I know. It was really funny. <laughs> you have another story, too, which is really cool. So I'm glad that you're able to kind of express yourself in – a funny, jovial way. So go ahead. Oh, Tell well, us the about other the second. story is about another deceased relative. So it's about my father-in-law who did something that seemed really weird, but turned out to be really wise in the, in the end. So we, he was living with um, my sister-in-law and she called us. We were in the city one weekend, you know, in New York city doing like a theater weekend. Mm-hmm. And she called us and she said, you have to come out because uh, dad says he's going to die, like he's ready to go. Um, and so we rushed out there because we had heard, you know, we had heard about when old people say, I'm going to die, and they just like put on their best clothes and lie down and cross their arms and then they die. Like we know that people are capable of that. And he was 90. And so we thought, okay, we we believed him. And so we rushed mm-hmm. out there and we you know, everybody was crying and it was just so awful. And then we each took a turn going in to say goodbye to him and to have, you know, those last words with him. And he told my husband how proud he was of him, which was something he had trouble saying for most of his life. And he asked me if he had been a good father-in-law and I told him I had been, and he apologized that he wasn't going to be able to go to my son's wedding, which was going to be in, you know, another 
five or six mm-hmm. months. And and so then, you know, we said our goodbyes. That was a Sunday. And my husband had been calling his father every night for decades. And so we went home and Bill didn't call his father that night. And um, then the next day, you know, we called and um, Bill's sister said that um, their father was still alive. He had woken up that morning and she had come into his room and he had said, Debbie, am I dead yet? And she said, no, dad, you're not dead yet. And then my husband didn't call him that day because he didn't want to, you know, interfere with him while he was dying. And then Tuesday came and he woke up and he said again, Debbie, am I dead yet? And she said, no, dad, you're not dead yet. And then the same thing happened Wednesday. And finally Wednesday, my husband decided he would resume calling his father every night. He just wouldn't talk about the fact that he was about to die. And then Thursday morning, my father-in-law woke up and went and got up and went and had breakfast. And he said that he had a dream the night before and God came to him and said, like, what's your hurry? And so he decided he would get up and have breakfast. So that was, like, we all had said our goodbyes. And then two weeks later, we celebrated his 91st birthday party. And he sat at the head of the table. And, you know, there were 20 mm-hmm. of us there. And he was cracking jokes. And we had a great time. And nobody talked about the fact that two weeks before he had said he was going. Um, and then he did die six months later. And, mm-hmm. you know, when he did die for real, I mean, he was not able to speak and you know he he just basically was put on meds and you know to mm-hmm. be comfortable and died at home but not able to speak to anybody and it was a whole different mm-hmm. experience but everybody had already said goodbye and right. i realized what an incredibly wise thing he had done and you couldn't have had those conversations unless you actually thought he was dying he couldn't have said those nice things that he said and we couldn't have said the things back to him so everybody got to express their innermost loving feelings to each other, mm-hmm. and then it was out of the way. And so nobody had anything left unsaid when he finally did die. It's a beautiful story, and it's one of those things where, like you say, whether he planted himself or that something from the higher up that sort of prompted him to do that. But in the end, like you say, it was a wonderful event for everyone. And it's funny in a way, you know, and I don't know. I mean, for me, Amy, we talk about this. I want to go out in a fun, funny way. <laughs> That's all I can uh-huh. say. <laughs> yeah, I think so, him saying, Debbie, am I dead yet every morning for three mornings was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the chapter topics covered in this book? Um, the first chapter is called Eccentrics Are Us. And there's just a lot of really weird stories. <laughs> and then the second chapter is called Mom Did What? And you can imagine what's in there. <laughs> and the third chapter is about marriage. And it's called Happily Ever Laughter instead of Happily Ever mm-hmm. After. The fourth is when people are telling stories about themselves and their families. And that chapter is called We're All Nuts Here. The fifth chapter is about childhood hijinks. And I mean, I realize you could fill a whole story, a whole book with stories about kids doing funny things, but I didn't mm-hmm. want that. I just wanted the truly unique things. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the sixth chapter is about grandparents and great-grandparents. So it's called Grand and Great. The seventh <laughs> chapter is about 
those things where you would just say sometimes you just have to laugh. So that's the name of that chapter. And then the eighth chapter is about blended families and weird and wacky stuff with, you know, step parents and marrying into a family. So it's called Blending In. Um, the ninth chapter is just general mayhem, and I called it family fun. And then the tenth chapter is where we get kind of introspective, and that chapter is called Now I Get It. And mm-hmm. that's where we have people – that's the more serious chapter. That's where we have people telling wacky stories but also really talking about finally developing understanding for a certain relative's behavior or finding forgiveness just in time, um, bonding between family members, um, restoring relationships, that kind of thing. Wonderful. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Amy Newmark the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a wonderful conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Crazy Family, a collection of 101 stories of wacky yet lovable relatives. So, Amy, let's dive into the book. I love the stories that I've selected, and I'm sure you have some that you can add on as well. But let's go with Chapter 1, Eccentric Are You, That Crazy Squirrel Lady by Heather Rodin. Oh, my gosh. This story just makes me (laughs) laugh out loud. This is so funny. So Heather Roden says that, um, you know, she was a typical mom with a whole bunch of kids, and they found a baby squirrel. Her daughter found a baby squirrel, this tiny little ball of gray fur, and she found it on the road sitting beside its dead mother. So this was not a case where, you know, you leave the, the baby squirrel out there because its mother is going to come and get it. The squirrel, this baby was sitting next to its dead mother, which had probably been run over. And when the daughter found it, the baby squirrel ran up her leg and across her arm and right into her hand. So this baby squirrel really wanted to be cared for. And it, this was a family that was filled with children and animals. They had five kids. They had a cat, a dog, two chickens, and a rabbit. So adding a baby squirrel was not such a big deal. And so they gave the baby squirrel some formula that, you know, their own human baby was drinking. And the little thing, like, curled up on his back, and he clutched the the nipple with both of his paws, and he sucked that bottle dry. So he was starving, right? And he did okay mm-hmm. with the baby formula. And he loved to, like, hang out on... Heather's body, basically. Um, she w- had this house coat she wore, and he would go into the pocket and just sit in the pocket as she walked around the house. And then sometimes, with, sometimes he would run up her arm and sit on her head so he could watch what was going on in their household. And so she would just be there in the morning, you know, getting the kids off to school, getting them dressed, getting them lunch, etc. cetera. And, um, this girl would just be like in her house coat pocket or sitting on her head watching everything. And she just got accustomed to this. And then one morning she had this new uh, van delivered and it was her normal morning of mayhem. And so she got the van and then she went out to the garage to try to, you know, start up her van and the keys didn't work. And so she called the dealership and she said, you dropped off the wrong keys to the van. I can't start my new van. Send somebody back immediately. So they send somebody back 
and she's not even thinking about the squirrel. And so she goes out to talk to the guy, and the squirrel keeps climbing out of her pocket and up onto the top of her head. And he keeps perching backwards, so his tail is just on top of her face. So she keeps pushing the tail out of the way or just grabbing him and sticking him back in her pocket. And she's talking to this man while she's repeatedly taking a squirrel off her head, putting it in her pocket, and then the squirrel's running back on top of her head, and then she just plucks it off, puts it back in her pocket. And she doesn't even realize that the man's mouth is just open and his eyes are wide, and he can't believe this crazy squirrel lady. Anyway, it turned out she was trying to start her new van with the keys to her old van, which was highly embarrassing. So she was actually way more embarrassed than she was about the squirrel that kept perching on top of her head. I just thought it was so funny, and she wrote it in such an amusing way. And by the way, they kept that squirrel until the next spring, and then um, they released him into the wild. So they didn't try to keep him as a pet. They just released him into the wild once he was old enough to go back. It's such a beautiful story, and I remember when I was in college, I had a roommate that had mice. She was, like, so small, and I'm so afraid of, like, squashing it. It's kind of cute in a way. The beauty of it is that it's amazing how we humans can really connect with animals. Oh, yeah, and the squirrel, you know, was probably just at the right age to try to bond mm-hmm. with somebody. It needed a new mother figure, so Heather was it. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Well, the second story in the same chapter, Eccentric R Us, it's all about the dogs by Connie Pumbo. Yeah, so I know people are crazy about their dogs, but the reason I included Connie's story was because her father went a little too far in being crazy about the dogs. I mean, one time he confessed to Connie, if anything ever happened to your mom, I'd be devastated, but if something ever happened to Sadie May, I don't think I could survive. And Sadie May was his German short-haired pointer. So he was saying he'd be more devastated by the death of his dog than by the death of his wife. And basically this was how he treated everybody in the family. Uh, Connie says that when her parents drove her to her freshman year of college, they made her get out of the car at 5 a.m. at her dorm so they could rush home to the dogs, (laughs) which is not the normal experience of being dropped off for your freshman year of college. And then when, when Connie's son was graduating from high school, so this is many years later, her father was still dog crazy and he he flew out to come to the um the graduation party which they had the night before the actual graduation so he came to mm-hmm. the the party and then he couldn't stand being away from the dogs and so he and Connie's mother left the next morning and did not actually attend the graduation because they had to rush back to this dog Sadie May who was in a kennel and her father was too nervous about leaving Sadie Mae in the kennel. So um, Connie's just now accustomed to the fact that her her father, who is now 87, will always put the dog before any human family member. (laughs) When I read that story, it reminded me of our family dog in Malaysia, Pili. When my mom started traveling, going on tours with her friends and so forth. And my sister and I, I guess we were in our teens. The first person or thing that she comes back to and is so worried about is Pele. And like, I'm asking, I said, like, wait a minute, we are your kids. She said, well, y'all can take care of yourself. 
the dog can't. And of course, Pili plays his role like he wouldn't want to run into my mom because he's upset that my mom had left for a week or two. And so it's crazy. So I could certainly relate to this particular story. (laughs) (laughs) The third story, and I love this, in this particular chapter, Eccentric R Us, Classically Driven by Barbara Walker. This was a great one also. So this, so Barbara had an aunt, Aunt Dorothy, who was known for her thriftiness, but she was also known for her intense love of classical music. And so being as thrifty as she was, and also being retired in, in her 80s, you know, she didn't have a lot of money to spend, and so mm-hmm. she was always finding these really creative ways to get access to concert tickets and go to all these different musical performances. And so she joined an arts organization because that way she could get cut-rate tickets, actually even volunteered at a nursing home where the mother of the local symphony's first violinist lived because she figured <laughs> if she was volunteering where the mother of the first violinist lived, she might be able to score tickets from the first violinist. <laughs> and um, it actually worked. She got a couple of complimentary, you know, like center section passes mm-hmm. once in a while from him. And then one time she saw an ad for this local car dealership and it said that if you came in and you test drove a new Mercedes Benz, you would get two free tickets to the symphony. So Aunt Dorothy was still driving, but not well. She drove maybe 200 miles a year. She never drove at night. Um, she had this big, ancient Oldsmobile. And she really didn't want to test drive her Mercedes. She was kind of terrified about it, but she really wanted those free symphony tickets. And so Barbara went with her to the dealer. And when, when Aunt Dorothy walked in and told the salesman, I'm here to test drive her Mercedes. I want the tickets. He just looked horrified. And then Aunt Dorothy <laughs> was saying to Barbara, like, how far do you think I'll have to actually drive the car? Do you think I'll have to drive it on a busy street? And the salesman was just as horrified as she was. And so he ran off to talk to his manager. And he came back and he said, uh, ma'am, it won't be necessary for you to test drive a car unless you really want to. You'll receive the tickets in the mail in about a week. Is that all right? She said, that would be fine, young man. And everybody was happy, and she scored her tickets for free. It's just so funny. I love the stories in the book, and I couldn't get past the fact that she's so persistent would be the best word to use. It's like, I'm focused, this is what I want, and I'm going to get it. And the funny thing about it, she got probably just everything that she wanted in life from that perspective. She did. It's true. It was actually, she was actually a good role model. And mm-hmm. then the next story that I know you you told me that you loved is about a woman driving also, but this is not an elderly woman. This is somebody's middle-aged mom. Bronwyn McIntyre wrote about mm-hmm. this. Her mom called her one day and said, I'm going to drive for Uber. And Bronwyn said, do you mean Uber? And her mom goes, yeah, Uber. <laughs> no, mom, it's Uber. It's not Uber. Well, her mom swore her to secrecy because she felt that the rest of the family would judge her. And so Bronwyn helped her download the U- the Uber, the Uber app and watch the training videos. 
she tried to get her to learn how to pronounce Uber, and then she took her out to practice, and they pretended that Bronwyn was, you know, a, a passenger, you know, mm-hmm. a customer, and it did not go well. Her mom couldn't really use the navigation system. She was distracted. She didn't believe the GPS. Um, she didn't even know how to use controls on the mm-hmm. Uber mm-hmm. app. Like she tried to tap on them and some of them you needed to swipe or slide. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Bronwyn said, okay, mom, we're going to, I'll teach you again tomorrow. But then her mother went and just decided she was going to turn on the app and accept her first passenger. So she did that. And she got this writer immediately named Matthew, but then she realized she had no idea what she was doing. And so she, she turned off the app. So then Matthew started calling her because turning off the app didn't mean that she had canceled the ride. Right. So Matthew's calling her over and over saying, look, I can see your car. You just drove by me in the wrong direction. Come back. And she said to him, no, no, just cancel it. He said, I'm not canceling it because I'm going to have to pay a cancellation fee. Come right. and pick me up. I'm late now to my meeting. You've got to come and pick me up. So finally she picked him up and then he walked her through it and just like helped her deliver him to the mm-hmm. wrong entrance to where he was going, but at least it was close. And and then she yelled out the window to Matthew, you better not rate me one star. And he said, no, don't worry. I'm rating you five stars right now. And so she got five stars on her first Uber ride, which was a total disaster. So I just thought that was really funny. It is. I don't know about you. I mean, I take Uber when I travel. And I have experienced something not as bad as that now. Don't get me wrong. But we have a lot of people that are just recently moved to the United States. And so they don't know certain traffic etiquette, so to speak, like making a left turn and there's no traffic you can go. And so mm-hmm. and then what happened was this gentleman was like waiting for an actual arrow to make a left turn. And so we're sitting there <laughs> all this while. And I finally thought, I said, you could go when there's no traffic because we went through two cycles of the green light and he didn't go. He was waiting for the arrow. And so it's just kind of funny. I love the story. <laughs> I have that when I pick, when I get an Uber in New York City to mm-hmm. come out to the suburbs in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have deer all over. And if it's dusk, I have to warn them, you know, if you see like two eyes glinting in your headlights, that's a deer. And there's probably more than one of them. So you got to be careful. Oh. And these guys are just terrified. The farther they get from the city, the more and more terrified they are. And it's dark. You know, there are no yeah. street lights. And I can just tell they're so <laughs> nervous by the time they get to my house with animals all over the place. And, uh, but you know what? It's good for them. I always believe in stepping outside your comfort zone. And oh, so yeah. I think yeah. this is very yeah. good for these Uber drivers. And they'll be better the next time somebody needs them to drive them out to you know, a more rural mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. The next story in the same chapter, chapter two, Mom Did What? And the title of the story is Lucille Ball Jr. by Helen Sistra. And the reason why I chose this story is because my mom loves Lucille Ball. <laughs> so go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Lucille Ball was always getting into these funny predicaments. And so Helen's mom um, wanted to go and visit the White House. So, you know, they went on one of those White House tours, and her mom was super excited. And they actually practiced driving there the day before to make sure that um, Helen's dad knew where it was. And so they went on the tour, and her mom was in heaven. 
But then Helen's younger sister really needed to go to the bathroom. And so their mom told the tour guide, we, we've got to take her to the bathroom. And the tour guide said, you, you can't leave. You're not allowed to roam around the White House. You've got to stay in the group. And uh, her mom said, she's going to be sick right here, right now. So they let them go off to the bathroom. And then um, her mom and her sister were in the bathroom, and then her father walked in and said, you know what, I don't even care about this tour, and you really wanted to go on this tour, so I'll take care of our daughter. You go back and finish the tour. So the mom left the bathroom but couldn't find her group, and so she starts wandering around the White House from room to room. And, of course, the Secret Service pounces on her, (laughs) like, why are you here? They're questioning her. And then she finally just explains her pathetic predicament, and they say, okay, go in that tour group and don't leave it. So she joins this other tour group, but then she's walking into one room, and she sees her her original tour group leaving, so she jumps out of her tour group into the other one, and then she gets in trouble again for leaving the tour group. Um, So anyway, it was just one thing after another. She was lucky that she wasn't arrested on her tour of the White House. (laughs) It's just so funny. And believe it or not, I brought my mom to the White House for the White House tour. Prior to that, when we were in Washington, D.C., I actually met her that particular time. Whenever she comes to the United States, she will fly with a tour group from Malaysia. And I'll fly into the specific city that she will be hanging out for about a day or so, and then I'll pick her up and bring her to Baton Rouge. That particular trip, everybody was so excited about the fact that they are going to the White House. And believe it or not, This is what happened to them, Amy. They were in the tour bus. All they did was just circle the White House area, the road, for a couple of times. And that's what their vision of visiting the White House was. They had no idea you could go in. Well, I'm sure being from Malaysia, it's a little bit different. So while she stayed with me that summer, I managed to get uh, some tickets to go into the halls of Congress as well as to do the White House tour. So she actually had the chance to go into the White House. Great. I I went in one time. um, Mm -hmm. We were invited to uh, one of the Clintons' um, Christmas parties. So we went and we were standing in line with all these celebrities. And I'm thinking, why are we here? And uh, we got to, you know, like shake hands with Mm -hmm. uh, President Clinton and Hillary Clinton and see the White House all decorated for Christmas and everything. And it was really cool, but it was unfortunate. I was sick as a dog. We had been at the Smithsonian earlier that day, and I had, I don't know if I had strep throat or the flu, but I was so sick. I had to keep sitting down at the Smithsonian, and I barely stayed on my feet at that White House Christmas party. So Mm. a lot of it was wasted on me because I was practically delirious. Sorry to hear that. Chapter three, Happily Ever Laughter. Love this chapter. And the story that I picked for this chapter is The Mysterious Package by John Allett, a male contributor. Yes, and John has two stories in this book, I think. Oh, no, that's right. Mm-hmm. He, he has one. I'm trying to think of – he has another one I used recently, though. Anyway, mm-hmm. John, um, he's a really interesting guy himself. Talk about, like, weird and wacky. John is a former spy. He worked for U.S. intelligence, and he worked for Israeli intelligence, Mossad. Mm-hmm. He's really a fascinating guy. Um, he's traveled all over the world. I think there's actually a television show being developed about him because of his incredible history in intelligence. 
Anyway, his dad was uh, like a really, really high-level executive at Pan American Airlines. And so John, even though he was born in the U.S., spent a lot of time growing up in Europe and traveled all over Europe and the Middle East. So they were living in England when this particular um, story happened. And because his dad traveled all over the world for Pan American, he would always get letters and packages from all over the world with interesting stamps on them. And John loved to collect the stamps. And his dad would be at work, and one of these letters or packages would come to the house, and John's mother would just be consumed with curiosity. And she would always get in trouble because she'd slit open an envelope, and then she'd try to reseal it, or she'd open up a package and then try to close it again. And it drove John's father crazy that his wife was constantly opening his mail and his packages. And so he finally decided to put an end to it after she secretly opened a gift that he had secured for her and, you know, ruined the surprise of the gift. Mm -hmm. And so these were the days when they would get weather reports for the Pan American, you know, transatlantic planes by sending these big helium-filled weather balloons up and they would send them up every morning, and then they would collect weather data from up in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and send it down by you know, radio signal. And so John's father came up with this elaborate hoax where he um, got one of these weather balloons, and you inflated them with um, a canister of helium. He had one of them sent to him with the helium canister. Then he figured out how to rig the box so that on opening the box, it would activate the helium canister and automatically fill this balloon, which would then pop out of the box and become huge, like mm-hmm. the size of a room. And so got the, he got it sent to him in England, put together this whole thing, closed it up, sent it to a friend of his in South Africa, gave him money to send it back to England, and then had the guy in South Africa send it to his house in England so that it would come to his home and his wife would open it maybe because she was so (laughs) bad about opening his mail. So it came to their house. The father was at work and the mom, as expected, opened the package because she just couldn't resist, even though she, you know, had (laughs) promised she wouldn't. And the helium balloon, this humongous balloon expanded inside their room, filled up the doorway. Like you couldn't even get into the room because it was as big as the whole doorway and their mom is screaming, and finally um, John found a sword because it was thick rubber, and he was trying to pierce mm-hmm, it with mm-hmm. other things. He finally found an actual sword and pierced it with the sword, and his father was laughing so hard when he came home <laughs> because here's here's the really funny thing. The helium mm-hmm. got into his mom's voice, and so she sounded like, you know, like Donald Duck yelling, yeah. yelling about your father is going to get it, except she had the helium sound. And the father walked in at just that moment. And and so <laughs> the mother is yelling at the father, Henry, we have to talk, you know, but sounding like Donald Duck. Yeah. That was really, really funny. And uh, John said, finally, after that, his mom never opened another one of his dad's letters or packages. <laughs> I love the story. I think it's just fabulous. That's all I could say. It's just amazing. <laughs> you know,
you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. We're having a wonderful conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Crazy Family, a collection of 101 stories of wacky yet lovable relatives. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Let's move on to Chapter 4, We're All Nuts, My Incorrigible Uncle Bud by Laura Bradford. So Laura had this uncle who for some bizarre reason, would drive halfway across the country to visit relatives without telling them ahead of time that he was coming. He would just show up and then expect to stay for a week. But Laura, when she was a kid, loved it because Uncle Bud was so much fun because he would stay for a week and he would have activities planned every day. And so they'd go and be tourists, you know, in their own community. And it was so much fun when he came And then when Laura was an adult, it kept happening. So now she's an adult. She's living with her husband in their dream home, which is a log cabin in the mountains of Montana. And she picks up the phone one day, and this man says, where the heck are you? I've been driving all around. I can't find your place. And Laura says, "Uh, who is this? And he goes, it's your Uncle Bud, of course. And then she realizes, oh, my gosh, now that I'm an adult, same thing's going to happen to me. Uncle Bud is going to drive halfway across the country and just show up at my house. And he had come not only with his wife, but also with another relative. And so there were three of them. Um, But luckily, he was smart enough to know that they couldn't all stay inside a log cabin. So he actually had secured a hotel room. Um, And so they had a great time. And It was just, you know, she had to just get used to the fact that Uncle Bud would do this. And then finally, um, Laura had to move because her husband had multiple sclerosis and they had to move into a different kind of home that was better for him with his, you know, disabilities and um, closer to doctors. And so only a few weeks after they moved, Laura answered her phone and it was Uncle Bud and he was saying, where the heck are you? I walked in the front door of your log cabin and found strangers living there. So she just burst into laughter. And um, (laughs) she says her uncle never pulled that prank on her again. (laughs) (laughs) I chose that story because this is very interesting. Now, back in Malaysia, this was years ago, you don't have the luxury of having telephones. So actually, when you want to visit someone or someone wants to visit you, they just show up. And take your chance to see if that person is home. And so you would time it where you will go and visit a person, relatives or friend, during meal times, obviously lunch or dinner, because then most likely people would be home, correct? And that's what you have. And so we use our living room quite a bit because if you don't have enough food to share with the person that just came in, then they just sit in the living room and browse through magazines while the family finish eating. The whole idea is if you are asked to join in for the dinner as a guest, you should say no first based on the first invitation because that is out of politeness from the host, basically. If they ask the second time, they're more refined. You should still say no. But if they ask you the third time, then you join in because they truly have extra food and they want you to be part of the family gathering for dinner or lunchtime. Just wanted to let you know that. It's kind of interesting. Of course, now we all have phones, so we don't have to worry about all that. 
That's true. And now people just meet somewhere and then pay each other their share of the dinner on Venmo or whatever. Yeah. Spend all their time yeah. reading their phones, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump to Chapter 7, which I thought this is another funny one as well. Sometimes you just have to laugh. Papa's Biggest Mistake by Debbie Sister. Oh, yeah, this is a great one, um, too. So in this case, um, <laughs> this was one of those unfortunate things that turned out to be actually pretty good. Um, <laughs> they had this well house. So a well house is when you have your well and um, you have your equipment and you build like a brick structure around it, you know, to protect it from the elements. But mm-hmm. the little brick house they had built around their well was too small, like a workman couldn't get in there and actually get any work done because the walls were too close around. And so they decided they were going to have to take that small brick well house down and build a bigger one. And so the day that somebody was coming to do that, um, Debbie's mom went and looked inside the well house and she realized that it was filled with spiders and she thought they were black widow spiders. And so she got one of those bug bombs and she opened the top of the well house and she threw the bug bomb in there so that it would, you know, emit its poisonous mm-hmm. gas. And she figured, okay, now when the workmen come to take it down, they won't have all these spiders come rushing out at them. Well, she didn't realize what that gas would do if somebody used water inside the house. And so Debbie's dad happened to be in the bathroom. And he was sitting down, probably, you know, reading and minding his own business. And he reached behind him to flush the toilet. Well, that flicked a switch in the well house to send water. That switch sparked and ignited the fumes from the bug bomb. And there was this huge explosion, blew up the entire (laughs) brick well house. And the water pressure from the water pump rose immensely and all the water came rushing back up through the pipes and up through the toilet and knocked her father like up in the air and off the <laughs> toilet because the water was going in the wrong direction. So um, her dad always blamed her mom and her mom said, well, you're the one who flushed the toilet. All I did was kill the spiders. <laughs> but the good news was they knocked down the old well house. So that worked, right? right. <laughs> one less thing to pay for. <laughs> These are the stories that sometimes you see them in movies and not realizing that it could happen out there somehow, somewhere. (laughs) That is true. Chapter 10. I know you have a wonderful story that you love, and I love this story as well. Please tell us about it. Oh, yeah. So this is the chapter that's really more serious. It's about wacky people, but finding forgiveness and finding understanding before it's too late. And this story is called The Deli Fella, and it's by Melanie Chardoff, who you might remember. She's an actress who you've seen on a lot of shows. Um, she's a beautiful woman. She's about 60 now, and um, she has been on all, these, all the shows you've seen before. You know, it, um, She's mm-hmm. been on every major sitcom that you've seen, and she's been the star of many shows. So she... Um, was she was going back home to New Haven where her um, dad was dying. And her dad had always been a kind of difficult and gruff guy. And so, you know, she had some unresolved 
issues with her dad. So there he was, you know, lying on his deathbed, and um, he had always had a problem with weight. He just wouldn't pay any attention to what he ate. It was kind of self-destructive the way he ate so much and was and was so unfit. But he, of course, now that he was dying, she said, I'll get you whatever you want. So he said, get me a ham sandwich, thick sliced on rye, three slices of cheese. <laughs> and she said, sure. And he said, and thank you. And she said he had not said thank you to her since she'd been an adult. Um, and she, so she thought, wow, he's really trying. And so she said, well, you're very welcome. Well, anyway, then... You know, things got worse, and he did yell at her because the ham wasn't sliced thickly enough, so she thought, all right, <laughs> my hurt is back. You know, he's still <laughs> he's still that gruff, difficult guy. And then she was talking to somebody um, in the hospice, and the hospice helper said to him, um, he didn't make himself sick because Melanie had been saying, well, he always ate too much. He made himself sick. It's his own fault. And she said, he didn't make himself sick. Melanie said, what do you mean? He ate himself to death. And the hospice worker said, no. He got rheumatic fever in the Air Force outbreak in 1943. All those guys suffered severe heart damage, and they were doomed. And most of them died very young. And he knew that he had this defective heart and that he was going to die young. And somehow he didn't die young. Like, he lived a full life, but he always had that cloud hanging over him and he always thought he was about to die so why bother to take care of himself he ate whatever he wanted and he lived in constant fear and pain from his damaged heart but never told anybody and so she developed this real understanding for why her father had always been so gruff and and difficult and Mm -hmm. seemingly self-destructive and so she said i love you daddy and he said you know what kid i can be a jerk but I've always loved you. Even when you were mad at me, I always loved you. And so they made up right before he died. And I thought that was a wonderful lesson to share with people, that it's never too late. Right, right. It's a beautiful story. Beautiful, beautiful story. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading My Crazy Family? I want them to look at their relatives with new appreciation when they see how... All of our writers describe their crazy family members. They'll say, oh, yeah, I can actually appreciate this now. This is funny, not annoying. And it helps to put it in perspective, and it also helps when you realize, oh, my gosh, look what these other people have in their families. My family is relatively <laughs> normal. And so I just think it it really makes you think. You you read these stories and you say, oh, yeah, I have an aunt who did that, or I have a grandmother who did that, or yes, I should appreciate the spunkiness that causes that relative to do that thing that I normally find Mm -hmm. annoying. I think reading this book will promote much better understanding and better family relationships, and that's why it's a good book to give as a gift to other family members as well, because it can do some good. Right, right. Beautiful. As we close the show, what recipes for living would you like to share with our listeners this morning? Well, I guess I would, since family is something we all have, I I guess I would take some tips that I developed based on the stories in Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Crazy Family. So first of all, I would say when you're dealing with somebody who's difficult, just stop for a moment and realize, oh, I can admire something about that. I could admire, 
you know, Aunt Dorothy's creativity mm-hmm. in scoring those free symphony tickets. Um, and then I also think that you can say to yourself, you know what? I enjoy helping people when they're in a, pred- a predicament, like Bronwyn when she helped her mom who was going to drive for Uber. Mm-hmm. And then you can also be admiring of their spunkiness and realize that that spunkiness is not a liability. It's actually a, it's actually very cool to have a spunky family member like that. And um, and maybe you decide you want to be just like them. Maybe you want to be as wacky as John Elliott's father and come up with these these amazing schemes to get his wife to change her behavior and be creative and fun when you're trying to stop somebody, you know, like your wife from opening your mail, which she shouldn't be doing. And then finally realize how much they actually do care. Like the way Melanie Chardoff found at the end that there was a reason why her father acted that way. And actually the love was there all along. And I think if people look at difficult or seemingly very unusual family members and delve deeply, they'll see, oh, the love is actually there. And if you know the love is there, you'll actually Mm -hmm. feel so much better about that family member. So true. Definitely. Definitely. Amy, thank you for the great recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, May 1st. My guest will be Veronica Farmer. She is a motivational speaker, therapist and best-selling author of the book titled Made Beautiful by Scars. Veronica will be joining us from Brisbane, Australia. We will be having a conversation about her life's journey and passion in helping others through her Made Beautiful by Scars Global Story Movement Project. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. As always, Amy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you so much, Johnny. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Introducing McDonald's new one, two, three dollar menu with breakfast favorites for one, two, or three dollars, like the sausage McGriddles, small McCafe espresso drinks, the sausage McMuffin with egg, and a new gaming console for my son. Uh, no, but the one, two, three dollar menu could help you save for one. Wait, isn't your son five months old? Who told you? I just know these things. Oh, build whatever meal you want with favorites on McDonald's new one, two, three dollar menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Introducing McDonald's new one, two, three dollar menu with breakfast favorites for one, two, or three dollars, like the sausage McGriddles, small McCafe espresso drinks, the sausage McMuffin with egg, and a new gaming console for my son. Uh, no, but the one, two, three dollar menu could help you save for one. Wait, isn't your son five months old? Who told you? I just know these things. Oh, build whatever meal you want with favorites on McDonald's new one, two, three dollar menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.